The following is an encore presentation of World Lutheran News Digest. An audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. How often have we heard the secular forces accuse Christians of extremism in our beliefs? Oppose abortion on demand? You're an extremist. Believe marriage is only between one man and one woman? You're an extremist. But which views are mainstream and which views really are extremist? The Pew Research Center, a nonpartisan think tank that conducts public opinion polling, demographic research, content analysis, and other data-driven social science research, has some interesting findings. Those findings indicate that traditional Christian beliefs are actually mainstream, and those opposed to them are the extremists. What's more, Pew Research data show that the vast majority of the incoming 115th Congress share these Christian beliefs. I discuss these findings with Peter Sprigg, Senior Fellow for Policy Studies with the Family Research Center, on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now, today's Fast Track. I'm Sarah Golseth with news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. The share of U.S. adults who describe themselves as Christians has been declining for decades. But the U.S. Congress is about as Christian today as it was in the early 1960s, according to a new analysis by Pew Research Center. Among members of the new 115th Congress, 91% describe themselves as Christian. This is nearly the same percentage as the 87th Congress in 1961-1962, when 95% of members called themselves Christian. Planned Parenthood affiliates profited by transferring parts of aborted babies to outside organizations in violation of the law, a special House panel has concluded after a year-long investigation. In a 418-page report released last week, the House Select Investigative Panel on Infant Lives also found that other organizations involved in the transfer of fetal tissue broke federal or state law. In one case, a National Planned Parenthood executive interviewed by staff investigators for the House panel said, quote, it doesn't bother me, unquote, that one vendor, Stem Express, paid Planned Parenthood $55 for an aborted baby's intact brain and then sold it to a customer for more than $3,000. It's none of my concern, it doesn't bother me, the Planned Parenthood executive said, according to the panel's report. U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor issued a nationwide injunction on blocking HHS Regulation 1557, which forbids discriminating on the basis of gender identity and termination of pregnancy in the Affordable Care Act, or ACA, with no exceptions for religious health care providers. Nearly 18,000 doctors and a Catholic hospital system challenged the regulation, saying it would force them to violate their religious beliefs. The judge found that the rule imposes a substantial burden on private plaintiffs' religious exercise. This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is the Lutheran Vartha Parivadi Agunu. This is Lutheran Samachar. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Mr. Peter Sprigg, who's a senior fellow for policy studies with the Family Research Council. Mr. Sprigg, can you tell me about yourself and about the council? Yes, 
Family Research Council is uh, a nonprofit organization located in Washington, D.C. We uh, have a mission to advance faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture from a Christian worldview. Uh, We straddle the line between being an activist organization and a a think tank producing both research and and, uh, public policy activism regarding family-related issues, issues involving marriage, family, uh, human sexuality, and uh, life. And uh, my background is uh, I I have some background uh, in political science, studying political science, but also a ministry background. I'm an ordained Baptist minister um, and um, came from that to uh, uh, do what I'm doing today at, at FRC 15 years ago. So it's a very challenging work. It is indeed. We live in challenging times, I'm afraid. Yes. One of the things that I have noticed as an observer is increasingly I hear the accusation that uh, traditional Christians, the beliefs we've all had, are now being labeled as extreme, especially in regards to, say, abortion or gay marriage. Now, I've got some interesting stats here from the Pew Research Center. For example, let's just take uh, abortion. Who opposes abortion in terms of, of official religious policy? Well, just a few of them are the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Assemblies of God, the Roman Catholic Church, the Mormons, Hindus, the LCMS, my organization, Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, these are major mainstream religions, and between just but the Baptists and the Catholics alone, that takes into, into account the majority of Christians in the United States. For same-sex marriage, once again, I'm looking at a study from the, Pew's, from the Pew Center. He's following a faith, uh, uh, reject uh, same-sex marriage. American Baptist churches, Assemblies of God, the Mormons, Islam, the LCMS, National Baptist Convention, Orthodox Jewish Movement, Roman Catholic, Southern Baptist Convention, United Methodist Church. How can something that is so mainstream be labeled extreme? Well, you're certainly correct, uh, particularly with respect to uh, the Christian community, as you stated. Uh, Certainly uh, a support for abortion on demand or support for the redefinition of marriage uh, is the fringe position when it comes to active practicing Christians. Um, I I was just reviewing some of the the data that I have on this before um, uh, talking to you, and uh, it's quite clear that it's it's challenging because you have to look at different um uh, different ways of measuring christian uh, identification and so forth uh there are many people who um identify as Christians uh, who are not actually practicing Christians, that is, they don't regularly attend a worship service and so forth. But those who, um, those who are practicing Christians are consistently more conservative on these social issues than those who merely identify as Christian. And those who are classified as evangelical, not based on the fact that they self-identify as evangelical, but by the fact that they affirm uh, specific theological commitments that are considered evangelical, they are even more conservative, uh, particularly when they are um, uh, when they are also active in a local church congregation. So uh, there, there's no question that uh, opposition to the redefinition of marriage and opposition to abortion on demand is the mainstream position among American Christians. However, I would add that uh, the the more radical um, uh, the more radical viewpoints 
uh, espoused by the left uh, and their ally, the, the, the social liberals and uh, the, the sexual revolutionaries, if you will, and their allies in the media, uh, are actually uh, the fringe positions, even in the general population, not just counted among uh, Christians. The number of uh, the percentage of uh, Americans, for example, who believe that abortion should be legal under all circumstances with no uh, restrictions um, is uh, in the latest Gallup poll that I saw was 29%. Uh, never has it been higher than 34%, and that was back in the early 1990s. So uh, support for unlimited abortion on demand is low and has actually been declining in recent decades. Now, on the issue of same-sex marriage, um, there's been perhaps a greater change uh, in, in public opinion in the last two decades in, in favor of that uh, re, such a redefinition. But even there, even as late as just a few months before the Supreme Court's uh, 2015 decision redefining marriage, um, when asked about the definition of marriage, when framed in terms of how marriage should be defined, there was still a clear majority of over 50% of Americans saying that ma marriage should be defined as the union of one man and one woman. So that's the, uh, that's the mainstream position, the idea that it should be redefined, and particularly that it should be redefined by a dictate from the court, um, was... Uh, always a fringe position. Well, that, this is something that really uh, in, intrigues me, is that it seems that the fringe themselves are accusing other people of being on the fringe. Well, that's that's correct. And uh, uh, the... Um it's fascinating because we do have, I think, a society now in the United States where uh, elite culture, and by elite culture, I'm talking about, um, in particular, uh, the news, uh, the news media, the entertainment media, and um, academia, uh, the colleges and universities, um, has a tendency to be far more secular and far more liberal than the average American. But because people who are part of this elite culture uh, tend to move in circles where they, they, they rub elbows primarily with one another, um, they are in, in some ways perhaps oblivious to the, to the fact that their viewpoints are, um, are actually uh, so um, out of the mainstream. And, um, and, and so uh, I, I think we see a definite uh, separation, almost a separate subculture, where um, uh, views that uh, are... Are, are not accepted by the general public are considered are, are taken for granted within uh, within this liberal elite. Well, one one of the things I think we've witnessed with the liberal elite is just how shocked they were at the results of the election. It wasn't so much that they lost, but just my God, how could we have lost? We were right. We're on the side of the angels. This couldn't have happened. But, well, I, I do think. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I obviously. Uh, Donald Trump has his weaknesses, he, and, and I wouldn't claim him as a representative of conservative uh, Christian morality. But uh, but I do think, in terms of that uh, point about the media being out of touch, I I, I do think that the election of Donald Trump uh, illustrated uh, was was a great illustration of that. Um, oh yeah, not we, just we the saw fact it. that they dislike him, but the fact that that was inconceivable to them that uh, that he could win and. Um, uh, well, that, and, that's absolutely true. I was watching on election night, and the expressions of utter shock 
on the correspondence on the mainstream media, not just MSNBC, but but uh, even Fox, NBC, CBS, CNN, when it became evident that it looks like Trump was going to win. I mean, the utter shock on their on their uh, their, their faces and the expression. They just couldn't believe it was happening. Well, yeah, I mean, we were tracing, uh, you know, we were uh, had kind of our own war room here at Family Research Council on election night and just sort of tracking the results as they came in. And one thing that was fascinating to me was uh, the New York Times had a had a page where they, you know, they were making a prediction essentially of the probability of victory for each of the candidates and 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 amending this um uh, you know, moment by moment as the results came in. And the probability, <laughs> according to the New York Times, the probability of an, a Hillary Clinton victory fell from uh, 95% to less than 5% in a period of about three hours <laughs> on election night. It was, I mean, you could almost see it, it, with, it with the web page open. You could almost watch the line dropping, you know, uh, minute by minute. Um, whereas, um, you know, I, uh, I, I felt in looking at the polls, uh, just, you know, in, uh, not long before the election, but then a few days before the election, um, it was pretty evident, uh, to me that there was a, there was a, a trend in which Hillary Clinton's support was flat, uh, and Donald Trump's support was rising in the polls in those last few days. And uh, he, he was not winning support at the expense of Hillary Clinton. He was winning support at the expense of Gary Johnson and, uh, you know, of the undecided voters and so forth, uh, or of third-party voters. And and, uh, and so it, it wasn't that hard to project that trend forward and uh, and um, see that there was a good possibility that he might win. But the... the, um, the Liberal media seem to, um, you know, j- just not be willing to look at that. Well, again, you know, like we were saying, the uh, the majority of this country still is Christian, and the vast majority of it uh, has some sort of religious belief. Uh, I, I just don't see where suddenly these people are getting off saying, "Well, this is all extremist." I mean, I look at, for example, the uh, the formation right now, the new 115th Congress. 91% of the new members describe themselves as Christian. And Which is higher even than the, uh, than the general public. It is. But, uh, but it, shows that, um, it shows that when you have uh, you know, single-member districts with majority vote elections, um, almost everywhere in the country people are going to choose a person of faith uh, to, to be their leader. And, uh, and uh, I think there was only one per- – I, I think I saw the same figure, and there was only one person in Congress who actually declared that she has no religious affiliation. Whatsoever. Yeah, that was uh, Representative Kristen uh, Sedema of uh, Arizona, Democrat. Right. And then there were 10 members, also Democrats, who simply wouldn't state what the religious affiliation was. Right. So, uh, and of course, the Republicans, uh, I think every one of them declared that they had religious faith. Those who were not Christian were Jewish. I think there were two, two uh, Jewish right. members in the right. recent. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it seems to me that we're not the ones who are out of step. And uh, it's it's going to be an interesting year coming up. One of the things we're looking to, uh, for example, this month is going to be the March on Washington, the March uh, for Life. Yes, 
And, of course, uh, <laughs> that's another great example of how the uh, mainstream media is sort of out or the, the liberal media is out of step because uh, every year there are literally hundreds of thousands, probably a couple hundred thousand people consistently year after year uh, come for the March on uh, uh, the March for Life. And um, it is an event that is routinely uh, almost entirely ignored by the national media. And yet uh, much smaller um, uh, events put on by liberal uh, groups uh, are, are given much greater attention. And I, I understand there's plans now for some sort of uh, feminist uh, women's march on Washington to tie in with the inauguration and so forth. And this is getting a great deal of attention. And uh, one uh, conservative writer online uh, said it is almost without fear of uh, contradiction that, that, that she predicts that uh, that the attendance for that will be much lower than the attendance for the March for Life, and yet uh, it will get greater uh, media publicity. Well, as an observer uh, with the Family Research Council, you've, you have been with them for a long time. You've seen the trends. You've seen things going on. What is the impact of social media in all this? I, I can't help but feeling that what we're seeing now is that the mainstream media is being bypassed. They're, the the gatekeepers have lost control, and these arguments now are going directly to the people. People are now able to sample a wide variety of information sources, and the sources are able to communicate directly. Uh, President-elect Trump comes in for a lot of criticism for his tweeting, yet he's bypassing the media. He is talking directly to the American public. Yes. Um, well, pre President-elect Trump bypasses the media through his use of Twitter, and he was very successful in uh, uh, manipulating the media, in a sense, through um, doing uh, doing live media interviews as a substitute for uh, paid advertising, for example, and uh, uh, simply doing telephone interviews and so forth, low, uh, low cost, high return sort of use of the media, and... Um, uh, I, I do think that social media has made a difference. Uh, it, it's made a difference in some way, uh, in some ways for the good, in some ways for for bad. I mean, I, I do think there has been somewhat of a coarsening of the of, of discourse uh, because um, very harsh views can uh, be expressed in social media and on the internet, uh, which would probably have been um, censored or toned down if we were reliant on more traditional media sources. But on the other hand, we also have greater, we have more sources of information. We're simply not uh, dependent on um, a few major media uh, outlets for, uh, for information. And that allows, um, uh, you know, things to happen that, that could, could never have happened under the, under the old media climate when, back when I was growing up. I, I think of something like uh, David Daleiden's uh, undercover videos, for example, exposing uh, the sale of body parts at Planned Parenthood. And, um, you know, that's something that could never have happened, uh, it would never have had the impact that it did uh, if it were not for uh, the Internet and, and social media, if he were reliant upon newspapers and, and TV networks to get the word out. Well, I think we're seeing more and more, I guess I call it guerrilla journalism. Uh, as you pointed out, David Layden's organization has been doing it, and uh, Project Veritas is another one that has been doing a lot of good undercover work. And it's interesting 
that, uh, for example, Planned Parenthood is <laughs> going after Delayton for, yo, you took undercover videos without our permission. Shame on you. Not the fact <laughs> that they were selling aborted baby parts for, pro for prog uh, profit. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, I shouldn't laugh at that, but I mean, the irony is just too much to pass up. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, there's, there's all this concern uh, about, um, so-called fake news and and it's true that there the the uh social media and the internet uh provide the opportunity to uh for information uh, and rumors to be spread uh without um without fact checking and so forth and sometimes that may uh you know people need to be discerning in that but uh on the other hand, you know, I've had <laughs> the, the fact checkers sometimes leave something to be desired. I've had the, the personal experience of having to uh, write lengthy rebuttals of, uh, of PolitiFact uh, when, uh, for example, when they, they declared that uh, a statement in the Republican platform that uh, children do best with a mom and a dad was false. And I had to explain uh, th that, uh, you know, uh, there there might be a possibility for people to argue about the sources and the, the nature of the research and so forth. But to, to declare a statement like that, uh, which is supported by literally thousands of social science research studies uh, as false, was was nothing short of absurd. So um, uh, but, you know, fortunately, with the Internet, we you know, I have the opportunity to get that word out as oh, yeah. well. Oh, we saw. I'm based in St. Louis. This is where we're we're from, and and of course, remember the Ferguson riots, which are just a couple couple of miles from here. Right. And remember the hands up, don't shoot narrative that was all over the mainstream media that simply did not happen. Right. It was false news. It didn't happen. To this day, some people believe it. Yeah. And if well, had it not been for for uh, social media keeping the uh, the feet to the fire on various groups in this. Uh, it, it, the truth, I don't think, really would have come out. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that um, there is, uh, you know, there is a need for people to take what they see in the mainstream media with a grain of salt and certainly to um, uh, Christians, I think, should be encouraged by uh, this realization and understanding that their views are mainstream and uh, and should not allow... Uh, social pressure uh, from from these uh, sort of liberal elites uh, to to silence them uh, in in expressing their views and their convictions and and bringing those convictions to bear on public policy as well. Well, that's absolutely true, Mr. Spriggan. The thing that we have to remember as Christians is we know the truth. God has promised us the truth. We have seen it in the Bible. We've seen it in the Scripture. We've seen it through two thousand years of history. But more than that, now we're seeing it from secular. Sources like Pew that are saying, yeah, you guys really are in the mainstream. See, it's these other guys who, who are the fringe group. We are the mainstream. We know what we're doing. We know why we're doing it. Yes, and um, <clears throat> I think on a lot of these issues on, uh, on abortion and same-sex marriage and so forth, uh, what we actually have is a, a situation where um, there there is a sort of a... Um, Hardcore, if you will, on 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 both ends, there are, there are um, there is a hardcore uh, who hold the extreme liberal positions, who are clearly a minority, even though they try to present themselves as mainstream. They are clearly a distinct minority, rarely more than a third of the population that holds to the more extreme positions there. 
um, the, those of us who uh, have a strong understanding of uh, of the issues, who who have a strong commitment to our faith and so forth, and um, are are. are uh, firm in the face of what we hear from uh, the mainstream media and so forth are also, however, uh, often a minority, uh, you know, another third perhaps uh, on the conservative end. And in the middle, there are a lot of people who are um, not perhaps well-informed. The middle third are people who are not, not well-informed, not perhaps deeply committed to their faith, um, and perhaps more easily swayed by uh, you know, uh, sort of the currents of public opinion or the currents of what they may be seeing in the media and so forth. And so our task, part of what we are doing at, you know, Family Research Council, for example, is to, um, is to present the evidence that will be persuasive to those people in the middle and to help them to, to, um, to understand. You know, I can give you another example um, where uh, I was just looking at polling recently on the uh, on the transgender issue, and they found that um, uh, uh, the uh, percentage who who sort of have an, uh, you know, complete firm support of the transgender movement and agenda and so forth um, is only about 20 percent. On the other hand, the percentage uh, of us who believe that you know people basically should never be allowed to change their their legal uh, legally change their gender that they should do, that their biological sex should be the only thing that's recognized by the law. Uh, we're only about 20 percent or a little bit more uh, of the population. But then when you look at some of the specific applications um, of the uh, issue of so-called gender identity non-discrimination, for example, like the use of bathrooms, opening bathrooms, restrooms, and, you know, uh, locker rooms and showers to people uh, who have changed their gender identity, regardless of whether they've changed their body at all. Especially um, in schools. That, that people are much more resistant to that. So there's about 40 percent who question um, who question that idea strongly uh, disagree with the idea of of allowing bathroom access on those terms, even though there's only 20% who sort of question the principle of transgender rights in the abstract. So it's very important for us to be able to educate people on the implications that if you pass this transgender rights bill, it is automatically going to have an impact on the bathroom. So, you know, on the one hand, it sounds good to grant people rights. On the other hand, we have to look at the implications of these things. So that's part of the work that we do here at Family Research Council is trying to educate people on things like that. Well, Mr. Sprague, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to discuss this with me today. This is an important issue, and God bless you and your efforts. Thank you, and God bless you as well. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. 
You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.